Well, as Al mentioned, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Bentley Crawford. Um, and so this morning, we've come to the part of our service where we get to hear from God's Word. It's the Word that the Apostle Paul says was breathed out by God. And so please, can I invite you and ask you to, to lean forward? Would you work hard to pay attention this morning and to listen carefully to what God is saying to us through His Word? And what we're going to be looking at this morning is Acts chapter 11. So can I invite you to open up your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament right after the book of John. And turn to chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, 1 to 18. Uh, And can I invite you with your Bibles to keep them open? We're going to be continually looking back at this passage. I'm going to be speaking out of it the entire time. This is what we've come to do, friends. This is what we've come to hear is God speaking. Through his word. And so I'm going to actually put the scripture on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But let's read Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Start with verse 1. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, Three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand In God's way. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, 
I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. I pray because of your great love for us that you displayed toward us in giving your Son over to death on our behalf and raising him up. And because of your great love for us displayed in giving us life in your Spirit, I ask that you would freshly open the eyes of our hearts and minds to understand your Word. Help us to see how gracious you are, Lord. And help us to go and do likewise. Amen. Well, recently, when I was preparing for this message, I came across an article about North Korea that really opened my eyes to how bad things are there. It's by a journalist named Thomas Kidd, and he was telling about this book that he had recently read by a woman named Melanie Kirkpatrick titled Escape from North Korea. And so in it, in this article, he says this about the country of North Korea. It is difficult for outsiders to comprehend just how abominable North Korea is with its abysmal living conditions and absolute lack of freedom, especially religious liberty. Hundreds of thousands of people languish today in North Korea's prison camps. People sent there for the mere suspicion of disloyalty to the regime or for political sins committed by relatives. North Korea is the world's worst persecutor of Christians. People there face torture, jail, and possibly execution for the simplest offenses, such as owning a Bible. He then recounts part of the book. Kirkpatrick tells the story of one abandoned starving boy named Joseph who scrambled across the Tumain River into China in 2005 risking the chance that he would be captured or shot on sight. Now, virtually all escapees will go north into China because going south and crossing the demilitarized zone into South Korea is effectively impossible. So in the Chinese village across the river where Joseph went, he found no one to help him until he knocked on the door of a Christian who fed him and told him to go to the nearest town. There, an old woman advised him to find a church. Because Christians helped escapees. What's a church? Joseph asked. Look for a building with a cross on it, she told him. He did find a church, connecting with a network of Chinese Christians that eventually helped him find refuge at the American consulate in Xinjiang and miraculously political asylum in the United States. Listen to this. The first survival tip a North Korean learns when he reaches China Kirkpatrick writes, is to find a Christian. Listen to that last line again. The first survival tip a North Korean learns when he reaches China is find a Christian. So what is it? What is it that makes Christians so different? Why is it that they are the ones willing to risk and help these North Korean refugees? Why are they the ones the refugees are told to seek out when they cross the border? Why? It's that Christians have freely received more than they could have ever dreamed of from the freely giving God who sacrificed more than they could have ever hoped for. And so as a result, they've been set free to give as well. To love those people who are different than them. To risk their lives and experience discomfort 
for the benefit of others. But they weren't always like this. And neither were the early church Christians either. You see, in our passage this morning, God is repeating this story. Maybe you're beginning to get a little familiar with it. That we're reading this morning to continually emphasize how important it is. This amazing story of how God brought Peter and Cornelius together, and then how Cornelius and all his Gentile household were saved. I mean, they were actually converted, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And in this passage, the new thing here in our passage compared to in Acts chapter 10 are the Jewish Christians. They're the new people on the scene. Um, It's similar to the story of the last few weeks, but what's new are the Jewish Christians. It's them that Peter is talking to in this passage, and it is their old way of thinking that God is working to change. And so, church, I wonder if God would be wanting to speak to some of us this morning who are like the Jewish Christians we see in this passage. We believe the gospel, but there are still many old ways of thinking about others that needs converting, if you will. We still have certain man-made requirements that we're going to want to see uh, met before we can truly extend the right hand of fellowship to other believers. We're talking about partiality, prejudice. And so what I think God wants to say to us through this passage this morning is this, and it's my main point, if you put it up on the screen. Freely you have received. Freely give to any and all people. Freely you have received. Freely give to any and all people. You see, in this passage, we see Peter bringing the Jewish Christians into the story of what God is doing. And we need to be brought in as well. So let's get into the first point I have for us. Point one, our natural stinginess, our natural stinginess. So first, before we go any farther, let's get the map out here and let's remember where we've been. We've seen God move the gospel out from Jerusalem there at the bottom of the screen. We've seen him move it out from Jerusalem with the stoning of Stephen into the region of Judea and then even into the region of Samaria. So the gospel is marching forward under God's sovereign hand. And so the gospel going into Samaria was radical enough for many Judean believers. But now he's brought it, if you look, to the city of Caesarea, this Gentile city, right at the beginning, if you will, of the end of the earth. And so if anything that had happened so far was radical, this would have been the most radical thing yet. And so quite naturally, word about this hits the news wires and it spreads quickly back down south to Judea and Jerusalem. Look with me at verse 1 again. It says this. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. The Gentiles had received the word of God. I mean, this was a momentous occasion. However, if there had been any joy 
it was also mixed with a little disquiet about how it all went down and how it involved Peter lodging and eating with uncircumcised men. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. It says this, So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So, when Peter finally made his way back down to Jerusalem, this group of Jewish Christians criticizes him. They had some concerns over what had happened. And their concerns centered around the fact that Peter, number one, had gone to uncircumcised men, and number two, had eaten with them. Well, you may ask, what's the big deal with that? I mean, what's, what's so bad about going and eating with these guys? Well, first, remember, they've grown up under this old covenant system their whole lives. The Jews at this time would have probably gone back to Leviticus 11 in the Old Testament to legitimize this view where God lays out all of the laws about clean and unclean food. God gives this long list of all the types of animals and fish and birds and reptiles that would be considered clean, i.e. you can eat them, and unclean, i.e. you can't eat them. And then also the ones that were unclean, not only were you not to eat them, but you were not to touch them. So unclean equals don't eat, don't touch. And then extrapolating from that, the Jews at this time would argue well, that this meant that they really shouldn't associate at all with Gentiles. Since, number one, they didn't care about these food laws. It no doubt caused the Jews to get unclean. But then number two, well, really God's intention is that the Jews would be totally isolated from this sinful pagan world. They can't have any bad influences around them. You see, so many of the Jews had not only misread their Bibles, their, their Old Testament, in regards to God's Messiah, but they had also misread it in regards to God's mission, His heart for the nations. And so here you go. You had the commandment of God as, as the foundation, and then you had on top of that this Jewish tradition. And this is an important distinction, so I'm going to give it to you again. One, you have the actual commandment of God about clean, unclean foods that none of the Jewish Christians had yet understood was fulfilled in Christ. And then number two, on top of that, you had this Jewish tradition, this man-made tradition stacked on top of it that said they weren't even to associate with Gentiles. So this was the reality that the Jews had grown up under. And man, I think we can give these guys a little slack, can't we? I mean, these were Jewish Christians we're talking about here. They had believed in Jesus, the Messiah, but were living in this amazing time. I mean, really at the hinge of history where the old covenant system was coming and really had come to an end and the new covenant in Christ had begun. And they, and they really hadn't put together how exactly the coming of Christ had changed things. And so they criticized Peter. They criticized him. Instead of rejoicing in the gospel going forth, they're wondering, they're questioning, they're criticizing. You might say that they're a little stingy. This gospel is for Israel. You want it? Become a Jew. Become like us, they may have thought. <laughs> so here's a question for us today. Are we really so different? 
In fact, I believe that we all find that we're a little bit naturally stingy, aren't we? We don't, we don't even have the excuse of living during the handoff of the Old and the New Covenants. We're not even Jews. We're just a bunch of plain old Gentiles in here. <laughs> but we are like them. And that we've all grown up with, with certain ways of thinking, certain preferences when it comes to the types of people we like to spend time with. Whether it be primarily based on race, social status, gender, personality type common hobbies, political viewpoints, theological viewpoints, educational theory, the way we run our families or handle relationships, and on and on and on. All kinds of things that we've either grown up thinking or have even recently become passionately convinced about. We all have things that we let primarily define us and enjoy being around those who are similar. I mean, those who can relate, right? And you know what? We have a harder time being around those who don't or can't relate as well. And we may be even downright hostile to those who are actually on the other end of that spectrum. And this is how the world is. This is how we are naturally. Stingy. Isolating. A little prejudice. A little partial. But now that we are in Christ, God wants to change all that. He's working to graciously and kindly change our hearts to make us more welcoming, more loving, more inclusive. And the way he does that is by, number one, helping us to find our primary identity in him and not in all these other things. Number two, he does it by helping us to see what is sin on our part. And what needs to be repented of? And what is simply a good thing that we've made an ultimate thing? What is simply a good thing that we've made a requirement that people must now meet to be equal with us? And then number three, he does it by helping us to distinguish in others what is actual sin that we need to call them to repentance from and what is merely preference, opinion, or practice that is within the realm of being condoned by Scripture. You see, God helps us to get the solar system of our world in order. As we increasingly see Jesus and the gospel of God's free grace that we didn't deserve as the center of our identity, everything begins to fall into its proper place. The good things that we make ultimate move outward and revolve around the blazing sun of the gospel and the trash that we bring in of our sinful prejudice and our man-made requirements are thrown out and expelled from the system. But this takes time, doesn't it? And God is graciously working to change us all. He's doing it in all of us. None of us, not one of us here are excluded from this work. And none of us have reached the end of it either. I mean, think about our, our different relationships, right? When it comes to unbelievers, there are just, if we're honest, certain types of people that we feel a little less comfortable around. And we may even feel a little, that are a little less likely to be saved by God. Or maybe we even think, they deserve not to be saved. People we might be a little 
less quick to rejoice about if we heard they believed the gospel. And it doesn't just affect our relationship with unbelievers, but it affects our relationships with one another here in the church. There's other people in the church that we just have a little bit harder time talking to. We're a little quicker to judge them and not give them the benefit of the doubt. A a little slower to pick up the phone to call them. A little more reluctant to walk over and introduce ourselves. You see, this is our natural stinginess. But the good news, friends, is that God wants to work on that. And he wanted to work on it in the Jewish Christians as well. And so that brings me to my next point, point two. It's the solution. It's the cure. It's the medicine that heals our natural stinginess. It's seeing God's gracious initiative. Seeing God's gracious initiative. You see, for Peter, as well as for the Jewish Christians, and also for all of us, we need to see God's gracious initiative. We need to see what he has done and what his will is. And so this is exactly what Peter does for the Jewish Christians. He doesn't rebuke them or scold them or lazily dismiss their criticisms. He understands something significant has happened. His thinking has been changed. And they weren't there. They need to know what happened. And so he carefully walks them through it and shows them what God has done. So I have a quote for you here. I love how commentator John Stott describes what happens here. He says this, It took four successive hammer blows of divine revelation before Peter's racial and religious prejudice was overcome. As he explains to the Jerusalem church, first came the divine vision, verses 4 to 10. The second hammer blow was the divine command, verses 11 to 12. The third hammer blow was the divine preparation, verses 13 to 14. And the fourth and final revelation to Peter was the divine action. So God, in his kindness, saved the Gentiles. God, in his kindness, changed Peter's thinking. And now, God, in his kindness, is changing the Jewish Christians' thinking. And he wants to change ours as well. You see, the amazing thing about this story is that Peter really had so little to do with it. God is the one who brought all of this about. So let's look here. Let's look at what God has done in these passages. Let's look at the first hammer blow, the divine vision, verses 4 to 10. Read it with me. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. 
and all was drawn up again into heaven. So here Peter is. He's praying. He's a little hungry, doing his own thing. And all of a sudden, this trance comes over him. Now look, this isn't like sometimes with my little daughter, Lila Grace. I'll be talking to her, and I'll look over, and you know, She's got that look on her face, and I'm like, Lala, hello. And then, you know, she snaps out of it. She's like, oh, oh, hey, Dad. Um, No. God put Peter in a supernatural trance and gave him a supernatural vision that he wasn't expecting. God just did it. It was his initiative. And we've heard about this vision the last two Sundays. Peter sees this large sheet-like thing being let down from heaven. And he looks in it, and he sees all kinds of animals, beasts of prey, birds of the air, and and reptiles in it. And then a voice enters the scene. Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. Well, Well, Peter says, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. I mean, he's like, it hasn't even entered my mouth, much less have I even eaten any of this stuff. But then the voice answers a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And then this all happens three times in a row. One after the next, after the next. And then it was gone. And so we know from Acts 10 that afterwards, Peter's like, what was that? What are you trying to say, Lord? And so we have the divine vision. God sovereignly, graciously gives Peter the vision. And then next, the second hammer blow, we have the divine command. Look with me again at verses 11 and 12, would you? It says this, And behold, at that very moment three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. I love how Peter's explaining it to them here. He's like, look, God just gave me this vision. I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out what it was all about. And then all of a sudden, at that very moment, these guys are at my door. I didn't know them. They were sent to me from a Gentile city, Caesarea. And they told me, they, they told me that they had been sent to look for me by an angel. And then the Spirit says to him, go with them not making any distinction, not telling him to make sure, you know, hey, avoid, uh, you know, avoid becoming unclean, be careful with them. He doesn't say anything. He just says, go. Now, Peter, Peter probably wouldn't have gone on his own, but the Holy Spirit said, go, Peter. And so he obediently went. And so we have the divine vision. We have the divine command. And now we have the divine preparation. Verses 13 and 14. It says this. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his way. This is Cornelius talking, Peter referring to Cornelius. He had told us how he had seen the angel stand in his way and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So now things are really starting to get interesting. If it wasn't already obvious with these guys showing up right when they did that God was preparing the way, it sure was now, wasn't it? I mean, evidently, God had also spoken to this Gentile man, just as he had to Peter. One in a vision, one through an angel. And so God is at both ends here. 
He is the one doing all of this. He's speaking to Peter. He's speaking to Cornelius. And he's bringing them together. And so we've had three gracious hammer blows to Peter's prejudice. Demonstrating God's desire to save the Gentiles. The divine vision, the divine command, the divine preparation, and the fourth and final is surely the most amazing, the divine action. Look at verse 15. Peter says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. I mean, imagine that. So Peter and his fellow Jewish believers made their way up to Cornelius' house in Caesarea, and a large number gathered there. It was his whole household. So Peter walks in. He finds out that the angel had told them to ask him to give a message to them, and so he begins to tell them. And then in Acts 10, we saw how Peter began to share this message with them. And see, here's the really amazing part. Because we see in multiple places that it seemed like Peter really wasn't done speaking yet. I mean, what else was he going to say? We just really don't know. Maybe he didn't quite know what to say next. I just wonder if he and his Jewish friends, when they were on the way over, had talked about all of this. You know, okay, okay, maybe pondering how exactly the gospel should be presented to Gentiles. Okay, okay, let, let's, let's share the message with them, but... Um, do, do, we, do we then tell them how they need to first become Jews uh, since the message is for Israel? I mean, can, can they even really be saved? Whatever it was, this is what is so amazing here. It doesn't matter what Peter was going to say next because God takes the action and answers the question. As Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them. God had so worked in these Gentiles that as soon as they heard the gospel, they believed. And just as when Jesus poured out the Spirit on Pentecost and all the believing Jews began speaking in foreign tongues, so the same exact thing happens here. You see, God wasn't only saving the Gentiles, but he was making a public statement to the Jews as well. And that public statement to them is where the message comes home to us as well this morning. And it was this, listen, salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you've done. There's only one requirement to be made right with God, to be made clean in His sight, and to be a full member of the people of God. It is faith in Jesus Christ. God took the initiative. Peter saw it. Now the Jewish Christians had seen it. Do you see it? Do you see that nothing, nothing commends you to God except for faith? In Jesus Christ. The faith he gave you, by the way. Do you see that the only thing, the only thing that commends you to God is Jesus' blood and righteousness? Don't you understand that before you were saved, everything about you deserved hell? You were dead in your sin. You were without hope. But God, but God 
but God. He took the initiative, friends. God came to you. God plucked you out from among billions and chose to save you. Listen, nothing about you stood out. You blended right in with the rest of sinful humanity. But God, in his amazing mercy and grace, chose you, met you in your darkness, breathed life into you, turned your dead, stony heart into a beating, pulsating heart of flesh and gave you the gift of eternal life with him. All of the things that we hold on to to separate ourselves from one another and other people are nothing. And look, I want to talk to you. If you're sitting here and you haven't repented and put your faith in the Lord Jesus, maybe, or maybe you thought you were a Christian because you went to church or, or lived a pretty decent life, I'm, I'm calling you right now to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus. May God grant you repentance that leads to life. And so, God, having shown the Jewish Christians His gracious initiative, and us having been shown His gracious initiative, He wants now to convert our thinking. He wants us to think about the implications of what he has done and to one by one root up all of our old prejudicial ways of thinking. Which brings us to the last point. Point three, our conversion to free giving. So after Peter saw what happened, he tells the Jewish Christians how he remembered what uh, Jesus had said in Acts 1.5. Look with me. Verse 16. And I remembered the word of the Lord... Now he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's like, if Jesus was the one who poured out the Spirit on us, then he was the one who poured out the Spirit on them. And they didn't have to become Jews first. All they did was repent and believe. The implications were clear for Peter. And he lets the Jewish Christians know the conclusion he came to as his own thinking had been changed. And he tells them what it was. And he also implicitly challenges them. He says this in verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way. I mean, Peter's thinking, God has done this. Some massive changes have occurred. I'm still trying to figure it all out. Nothing about me commends me to God any more than it disqualifies them from God. Peter's thinking had been converted. He was able, by God's grace, to freely welcome these Gentiles so unlike him as fellow believers. He had gone in and eaten with them and stayed with them for some days. This is crazy for a Jewish 
man to do. And so he's walked the Jewish Christians through all of this, and here is their response, the evidence of the beginnings of their own conversion. Look with me at verse 18. When they, the Jewish Christians, heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. (laughs) When they heard it all for themselves and had seen God's gracious initiative, they fell silent and they glorified God. They had had their thinking changed. Now, we're going to see they still had their run-ins with this, still had some things to work out, but God was working on them. And friends, He's still working on us. Now, at issue for them was, what were the requirements to be a full member of the people of God? This was the issue. And God was showing them that faith alone in Jesus Christ was the sole requirement. You see, the coming of Jesus had massive implications for what marks a person as in or out. So listen to this amazing quote. I'm going to put it up here from G.K. Beale. It says this, Christ has abolished that part of the law which divided Jew from Gentile so that they could become one. Gentiles no longer need to adapt the signs and customs of natural Israel to become true Israelites. They do not need to move to geographical Israel to become Israelites, but they need only move to Jesus, the true Israel. They do not need to be circumcised in flesh, but in heart by Christ's death, which is their true circumcision since it cuts them off from the old world and sets them apart to the new. Gentiles do not need to make pilgrimage to Israel's temple to get near to God, but they merely need to make pilgrimage to Jesus, the true temple. The food laws were fulfilled in Jesus, who was now the one who marked out the people of God and made them clean. You see, the actual commandment of God had been fulfilled which means the undergirding for all their Jewish traditions was gone. And so, for us, what would be some of the requirements that we construct that people must meet before we count them as full members of God's people? I'm not talking about so much official membership here at Palm Vista. I'm talking about the things that you require in people before you'll fully engage with them, pursue them, fellowship with them before you'll fully count them a member fully equal to you in your mind who are the gentiles in your life that god wants you to accept where does god want to convert your thinking friends where does he want to convert mine and just in case you're still not convinced that you do need some change in your thinking here i want to read you a story real quick that I came across the other night as I was preparing for this uh, that helps us get to this point and convince us that we all need a little help here. It's from a Berenstein Bear book <laughs> called The Golden Rule that we picked up at Chick-fil-A a while ago, one of our kids' meals. And Sister Bear had received a golden locket as a gift for her birthday that opened up and had the golden rule inscribed in it. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Now the book moves into this story where Sister Bear begins to learn that very lesson. Imagine that. (laughs) So picking up during the conversation with her parents at dinner, 
she's sitting there trying to figure out about what this whole golden rule thing really means. And so her mom's speaking here. It says, well, begin, Mama. Let me give you an example. Do you remember that trouble you had when Queenie first moved to town? That's one of her friends or person in school. Sister perked up and paid attention. She remembered it all too well. Do you remember how Queenie started an in-crowd but kept you out and made fun of your clothes and hair bow? Mama asked, do you remember how badly you felt? Boy, did she ever. Sister started to feel hurt just thinking about it. Her lower lip began to quiver, and a tear came to her eye. But I would never do anything like that, said Sister. Besides, I don't have an in-crowd. Oh, no, said Brother, who had been taking all this in. What about Lizzie and Anna and Millie and Linda? You play with them all the time. But I never see you asking anyone else to join in. That's different, protested Sister angrily. I'm just playing with my friends. We're not trying to keep anybody out. Of course not, dear, soothed Mama. I'm sure you and your friends would never dream of keeping other cubs out of your group. Sister Bear grew very quiet. Now that she thought it over, she wasn't quite so sure. Not so sure at all. So, are we, are we just playing with our friends? We're, we're not trying to keep anyone out. But maybe we're not inviting anyone in either. It's so easy for us to group off, isn't it? I mean, really only fellowshipping with those who are just like us. Oh, friends, God wants to gently show us these things and to give us his heart towards others. You see, he wants the solar system of our thinking to all be in its proper place, revolving around the blazing center of the free gospel of Jesus as the one essential thing. He wants us to be a church that has a range of backgrounds, social statuses, opinions on sports and food, convictions about politics, different theological emphases, education and relationships, and yet still loves one another because these aren't the things that unite us. There is something that is still higher than all of these that can transcend them all, put them in their proper place, and give us unity despite our varied diversity. To be clear, I'm not talking about overlooking sin. I'm talking about distinguishing the difference between sin and preference, opinion, tradition, etc. You see, the Lord wants us to tone down our passion for other lesser issues and tone up our passion for the free gospel. God wants to convert our thinking. He wants to convert us into free givers. People who give their lives, their love, their time, their energy to those who are different than them. But united around and in Jesus Christ. Look, we live in Miami for crying out loud. (laughs) If God is going to start saving people and bringing them through these doors, then you better bet that we're going to have a host of people who are different from us in more ways than one. How are they ever going to feel at home here or grow in the Lord together with us if we immediately put up the list of all the opinions they need to have and all the practices they need to adopt? (laughs) Listen, where they are sinning against God, let's love them and graciously call them to repentance. But where they merely differ with some of our received or recently developed opinions, let us be ready to love 
because of our common faith in Jesus. You see, God wants us, friends. He wants us to see how freely we've received. And as a result, He wants us to freely give, to freely accept, to freely love and engage and pursue those who may be different than us in every way except for one, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. He wants the truth found in Romans 3, if you'll put it on the screen, 9, verses 21 to 24, to sink down deep within us and change the way we live. Let me read it for you. Paul the Apostle speaking, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for who? All who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, listen, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here is the level playing field, friends. All of us are under sin. There is no distinction. And all of us who are Christians are justified by His grace as a gift through Jesus Christ. It's this truth that had so profoundly changed those Chinese Christians I mentioned earlier. That they were willing to risk their own well-being as, uh, to reach across cultural lines to care for the fleeing North Koreans. And their free love for the North Koreans has had a dramatic impact. Listen to how the article that I read from earlier ended. Listen to this. Untold numbers of North Koreans have converted to Christianity following their escape. And some brave ones have even returned to North Korea at extraordinary personal risk to serve as witnesses to their countrymen. So the free love and care given by those Chinese Christians so impacted all those North Koreans that in turn, many of them believed in Jesus. And in turn, some of them want to risk all to go back and preach this extraordinary gospel to their countrymen. May God grant the same to be true of us, friends. Amen. Let me pray for us as the worship team comes up. Oh God, as I've studied this passage, I've been convicted at how easily the sin of partiality springs up and can manifest itself in us. It's so ingrained in our natures. Oh God, I pray that the knowledge of how you took us, dirty sinners, and cleansed us in Jesus, and how you've done the same to every other person who has believed in his name, would make us zealous in love for one another. And those who don't yet know you, Lord, would you remind us how freely we have received your grace, Lord? And would you convert our thinking so that we freely give as well? In Jesus' name, amen.